Mets fans, I want to take a quick break from talking baseball and let you know about the next top prospect in building a smart home. Eufy Video Smart Lock E330 is that big time new star prospect. The Eufy Video Smart Lock E330 is a smart lock, a 2K resolution camera, and a doorbell. It's three devices in one, triple the security. You know triples are rare in baseball, but not with Eufy. You can have everything in one device rather than install many pieces on your front door. It's not just for security, but also for convenience. Just the other night, I had tons of packages in the rain. Rather than fumble for my keys, I easily entered my home. This is big since I have four dogs who are impatiently waiting for me at the door. No more concerns about losing keys, and you could assign passwords to your family members. Worried about when your loved ones are getting home? Eufy allows you to see them coming back home via the integrated camera. Hey Mets fans, this is a home run. I had a competitive product before Eufy, and it's the difference between a one-dimensional hitter and a five-tool player. Eufy is that five-tool superstar. Go to eufy.com, that's E-U-F-Y.com to learn more. Already sold? Go to Amazon and get your Eufy Video Smart Lock E330 today. Want to go to the store? Best Buy will have it starting around May 20th. Get complete control over your front door at ease with the Eufy Video Smart Lock E330 today. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. Hey everyone, it's your buddy Mike Silva. Guess what? We have a sponsor for spring training. Support for the Talking Mets podcast is brought to you by Manscaped, who is the best in men's below-the-waist grooming. Manscaped offers precision-engineered tools for your family jewels. They obsess over their technology developments to provide you the best tools for your grooming experience. Manscaped is trusted by over 2 million men worldwide. There has to be one of you or a few of you in this audience that are included in that. And if you're not, let's get you on it. We have an exclusive offer for just my listeners. 20% off plus free shipping with the code TALKINGMETS, all one word, at manscaped.com. Now let's get to the show and talk Mets baseball. But before you do, go to manscaped.com, get your 20% off, get your product, and then you can listen. All right. Let's get to Mets baseball. And a last-minute change to Marcus Stroman, who talked his way into the lineup today. He wanted to face competition, and he is getting that chance. Tenth in the league in home runs, 11th in on-base percentage, ninth in slugging, not what they had become no. accustomed to. Castro takes a running fastball for strike three. Been in the car with you, I know. You're a fast man. I am. That's on the outside corner. Stroman with a couple of strikeouts. So a six-up and six-down performance for Marcus. Check swing, and he takes the call strike three, and that's second strikeout to Marcus Stroman. Interesting. Stroman right now against left-hand hitters is, you know, usually you would think a sinker ball pitcher would be working away, but I think he's really focused on trying to pitch lefties in so far. That's a new pitch for me. Like, I'm still getting comfortable with it, but to see the results today, it's, it's extremely encouraging. Like I said, I've never really had a change in my entire career. Pretty much have pitched exclusively off sinker slider. 
Um, so to have that weapon in my back pocket as one of my pitches that are kind of at the end of my repertoire it feels really good. And it's something that, like Rob said, I worked on incredibly, incredibly hard this past offseason. It's a pitch I learned from Giselleman um, when we were in Brooklyn, and it's something that I just – continue to hit on and the more I throw it the more comfortable I feel it's spring training it's the first start and you never want to come out this is truly a time I, I, I'm not a rookie or anything so I have nothing to prove at this point so this is truly a time to develop make sure your body's good make sure your mind's good this is just taking the proper steps over these next three four weeks so that when I go into the season when we go into the season we're straight in every capacity, whether it be physically, mentally, emotionally. So I'm always just trying to, to, to take it easy throughout these starts, and I really don't try to turn it on until those real games start. Oh, I feel great. I feel great. I think it's more about just reps. Getting the ups and downs are key. So the fact that I could get up to – I think I got up to 50 pitches, actually, which is awesome for my second outing in spring. I feel like the more reps I get in spring, it kind of just propels me into the year and keeps me healthy all year, gets my arm strength up early. So, yeah, I thought it went well. I thought I got my reps in. Defense played incredible behind me. Just attacking the zone. First inning, it was a flare, and I hit a guy, so that could have went a bit better. But overall, I feel really healthy and, and strong. My velocities, I, I have never seen 93 or 94 this early in spring ever. So uh, I think that's just a testament to my trainer, to, to the workouts, and to kind of putting everything uh, that I can into my body and my mind. So I'm just excited, man, to go out there and compete this year. My body's in a great place. It's another edition of the Talking Mets podcast here on this Monday, March 8th, 2021. Of course, I'm your host, Mike Silva. You can check me out all the time at thetalkingmetspodcast.com. Send me a tweet at Mike Silva Media, and you get the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, pretty much whatever podcasting service you desire. If you want to interact with me, Mike Silva at talkingmetspodcast.com. No G, Mike Silva at talkingmetspodcast.com. Well, welcome to another edition of the podcast. And you guys have probably heard on the intro coming in, we now have a sponsor here at the Talking Mets podcast, Manscaped. You heard a little bit about that. And there's a special promotion uh, surrounding the Talking Mets fans, and you heard a little bit about that on the way in. And I'll probably give you a little bit more on the uh, way out here, as uh, we have a lot to get to on this program. But uh, it's nice for the month of March, and... You know, Manscaped has jumped into the fray here and given us an opportunity to show that this show has a great audience, it has a loyal audience, that has an audience with some disposable income that, you know, potentially wants to support their product and support this show. Now, look, I always say, this is not about me pushing something on you, uh, so I don't want you to think that I'm begging for anything over here, but if it's a product that you're interested in and it's something that potentially you would purchase and buy... Uh, supporting it and using the Talking Mets code, as I had pointed out in the opening there, will go a long way to continuing to, you know, obviously putting some money in the pocket here of this program to help build and grow it. It's not going to be, you know, going crazy here. But I know how times are tough. I understand that everybody has, you know, their budgets and whatnot. So it's an interesting opportunity that we all have, and it's out there. So we'll start off there and more to come as they've sent me some product to try out, and who knows, maybe it'll be something that you guys uh, could use and like and whatnot, but more on that. 
also, uh, as we, before we get into this whole thing, uh, and hope you enjoyed it. If you haven't listened to it, check it out. It's another podcast. MLB Coffee with Greg Maraz uh, was kind enough to have me on on their 30 uh, Teams in 30 Days, kind of a play on the old MLB Network radio and uh, MLB Network 30 Teams in 30 Days. To talk about the Mets, I was their Mets correspondent. They have a lot of, uh, you know, every day it looks like Greg is bringing on somebody from another team. I don't know how he does it with that kind of grind, you know, preparing for a spot on a team, especially a team that you may not be all that familiar with. Doing this show is difficult. So uh, check out MLB Coffee with Greg Mraz. I was on there. It was about an hour segment. And, and there were some things that you, as a if you're a loyal listener of the Talking Mets podcast, may have already heard. But there are some other nuggets and questions and topics he brought up that maybe you haven't. And you got to see, got to see, got to hear my take. Um, so there's that. So MLB Coffee, Greg Mraz, I was on there this weekend. And probably why I came to you a, a little day later, I figured let that marinate that that segment and, and get Greg some listeners. And he was kind enough to choose me out of all the Mets luminaries that are out there in terms of the podcasting and programs and, you know, shows and whatever, you, you know, you have or whatever you want to call it. So MLB Coffee there, Greg Mraz, check him out. As I was preparing for today's show, I was thinking a lot, and the good news is the lull of spring training, and I think this fan base and this team needs it to prepare for this season. The lull of spring training, I think, started a little early. The Mets don't have a ton of positional battles, and I mean, how much can you talk about the seventh or eighth guy in the bullpen or the fourth or fifth outfielder and, you know, looking at spin rates of guys and oh this guy's throwing 97 on the sidelines and I just look in in the game oh geez the game yesterday was ugly I don't know if anybody watched it it was on Pix 11 what was about three or four hours Jeff McNeil had a rough day there was that double play that shouldn't have been it was really the first game I tried to sit down and and watch a little bit but uh it was ugly and it tells you why it's spring training. And we're all trying to get and build up into regular season mode. And after having such a crazy news cycle, and I really think the Mets news cycle started back when they were hiring Joe Girardi as a manager. And Mickey Calloway got fired. I mean, think about how long back that goes because you had that. And yeah, things kind of slowed down when the, the sport shut down for the pandemic, but there was a lot of talk and, and conversation about what was going on in terms of the sport and, and context of the world. And, and then you have the ownership change, the crazy offseason, the scandals, you know, sign stealing over the last year and a half and whatnot. So there really hasn't been a downtime. I think this has been like the first, like, oh, you could take a breath. And it's not good for shows like this, and it obviously makes my job hotter. And that's where the challenge going forward is, is, how we as a program here and a community, as you guys are part of this community, handle these kind of weeks because uh, that's what's going to determine if this is a, a middle-of-the-road good or hopefully great product and podcast that you guys enjoy. And I'm going to hit on some things and I'm going to miss on some things. But in a little bit, I had a chance to catch up with, and what I was thinking of doing is that we don't do calls on this show. So it's very hard to do live calling and people have asked, you know, can I call in? Can, you know, I'm a big fan and I could talk about this and that. And, and I want to get to that. And you always have to do it organized and structured because the real value of this show is it's the bridge between the fans and the media. And it's my opinion and my expertise, if you want to call it that. 
and you want to not swing one way or the other. There's a lot of fan podcasts out there. You want truly to be the bridge here and give every point of view and bring it together for an intelligent discussion or, as I like to call it, mental bubblegum. So I decided to try something where a fan of the show has an interesting story and just talk baseball. That's it. I mean, nothing crazy, not getting deep into the team, learning about their experience, watching the Mets growing up, what their thoughts are, favorite players, things like that. And joining me in just a few, I had a chance to actually catch up with him yesterday, Mark Gold. Now, you guys might know Gold's horseradish. You probably have used it uh, as a condiment on a, a hot dog or something at a not just at a ballpark, but maybe a, you know from the supermarket or what have you. At some point in your life, I know that if you've gone to Shea Stadium or City Field, you've seen Gold's, uh, you know, mustard. Uh, I, I absolutely think that some of you have the great Gold's horseradish bobbleheads, and Mark will talk about maybe the curse of the bobbleheads. But Mark is a longtime Mets fan. He actually goes back to as a, uh, a fan of the Brooklyn Dodgers, so we will hear a little bit about that time as a young baseball fan. Think about being 10 years old and you don't have a baseball team anymore. So, um, you know, longtime fan, uh, Big Islanders fan too, you know, Brooklyn guy, you know, still lives in the boroughs, and it's just a fun way to talk baseball. Just, you know, lazy Sunday, crisp Sunday, spring training. We're not trying to get too, you know, hardcore here. Let's take a, a, a step back and talk a little bit of baseball and, and hopefully give you something to kind of get you through the week. Now, look, there'll be plenty of time to break down and get deep dives and get intense about the 2021 baseball season. Believe me, there's going to be plenty. There's no yellow brick road paved for the New York Mets in 2021. There was no yellow brick road paved for the Mets post-Steve Cohen. We, that's what I was told on November 1st. Oh, it's a yellow brick road now. The guy's got money. He's the richest owner in the sport. We learned that not to be true. So, Mark Gold, uh, you could you know check him out. Mark N. Gold on Twitter. Big Mets fan, uh, you know, Gold's Horseradish, which he sold just a couple of uh, years ago. And we're just going to talk Mets baseball. And it, what's interesting about Mark is that he, he's a big Mets fan, but he also interacted with the Mets from a sports marketing and and a business side. And you, you get to hear some of the inner workings of how did those bobblehead days come about and, and how did it even get to that point where that was a thing? Because he was doing this you know, before the craze of the bobblehead collectibles and what have you. So you'll hear Mark in just a little bit. And I had a great conversation, long conversation, and we could have went on for for a while. So good stuff. But there is some baseball to talk about. And I've been thinking about spring training and this team. And you heard probably a little bit about this with if you listen to my segment on MLB Coffee with Greg Mraz. And... I don't think there's anything that's going to change short of a major injury. There's nothing that with the backup players or what have you that's going to change my mind that this is uh, that this is not an elite offensive team. You heard Louis Rojas. They got to work on defense. You saw that yesterday. He wants them to be better base runners and more mindful base runners. Uh, holding runners on with the staff is something that's been an issue for a thousand years. You know, some of those things I don't know if you can fix, but being aware of it and working on it may make it better. But this is going to be an elite offense, assuming it stays healthy. The bullpen, I don't care who emerges out of the scrap heap pickups, the non-roster invitees, how well Familia Obatanza's pitch, how well Diaz looks in spring training. Until I see 
a sample size and get to really see these guys in action and see how Louis Rojas handles that bullpen, I'm going to say it's a question mark. There's nothing you can tell me that's going to change that. And side sessions of throwing hard and getting some outs against 4A guys in the 7th or 8th inning, that's you got to do that at least. It's not going to change my mind. I need to see a lot. The Mets have not really had a good bullpen in a long time. They had the Addison Reed Familia bullpen back in 2016, which was really a two-man bullpen. And the starting pitching was so good that you didn't need to worry about uh, you know, getting 9 to 12 to 15 outs. Like, you may have to right now uh, in this current era. Uh, before that, you probably had the 06 bullpen, the bullpen of Feliciano and Bradford and... Uh, uh, you know, Billy Wagner and Heilman and Moda and, and, and you know, unfortunately, Duaner Sanchez got hurt. So it's been a long time. So color me skeptical. We'll see more. Maybe the Mets have some something up their sleeve. It's going to be a while on that. But we're the real thing I'm looking for, and it really has been something I've been thinking about and wanted to talk about, and you heard him on the intro coming in, is this starting rotation. Because I don't care how good the bullpen is. With a bad starting rotation, does it matter? I mean, yeah, the 06 Mets had their bullpen really carry them. They were very fortunate how they were able to do that. They were a modern-day team before bullpens were that big a part of the game. They were always a big part of the game, but now, I mean, you got openers and what have you. This starting rotation needs to perform because that's what really, off the bat, when Syndergaard went down and then the guy we're going to talk about, Stroman, opted out, you knew that there was no hope for that rotation. Now, it allowed you to have David Peterson emerge. He got an opportunity that he may not have gotten if those guys were around. But lo and behold, it was it was a mess. It was a disaster. You had Jacob deGrom and four days of mixing and matching. And you could do that in a 60-game season. You cannot do that over 162 games. So when I look at the rotation, I know everybody feels much better about it, especially after the Taiwan Walker signing. And David Peterson has a tremendous amount of potential, and I think, and I've said it, and we had Glendon Rush, former Mets pitcher, who was a pitching coach in the Padres system, talk about Joey Lucchese and, you know, potentially how he could be a sleeper. I think there's a lot of potential as you go uh, in the back half of that rotation. But we got to see it. Just like with the bullpen, we got to see it. And that, to me, is going to be a process. That's not something that's going to be proven in March. It could be destroyed in March. It could give you potential in March. We need to see that throughout the regular season, and we need to see a sample size of that. Now, they acquired Carlos Carrasco, who is the kind of guy that, after you lost Zach Wheeler, could potentially replace Wheeler and be that 1A, top-of-the-rotation kind of guy. Let's also remember, Carrasco's coming off of a serious health scare two years ago. He just got vaccinated for COVID. We don't know long-term, if there's going to be any kind of side effects to that. Uh, He hasn't, from a a baseball perspective, and I know he's ready to pitch 200 innings, at least as he's saying that. Let's see what the body says. He hasn't had that opportunity to to pitch a hell of a lot the last two seasons. So there's going to probably be be some bumps in the road there. I mean, there's no doubt about it. We we don't know. I don't want to call him a question mark, but he's not a shoo-in. He's got a lot of potential. So you have DeGrom as your ace, and already he's thrown 100 here early spring, so let's give, even if there's any kind of tick of a downward situation with DeGrom, incremental, he's still going to be great. Uh, If DeGrom's not great, this season's going haywire pretty quick. 
So where does that leave us? And it leaves us with the guy that you saw yesterday. And a guy that I think, since he opted out, really derailed last season on a, on a greater level. And since he opted back in, you know, put his chips to the center of the table. And, you know, it's going to be a big part of whether this rotation uh, is going to be even close to the, the kind of rotation that it was in the second half of 2019. And, was, and it was a team that was able to, with a great offense... And a, and a rotation that only the Houston Astros, who had Verlander and Cole, were better than them. Whether we can see a repeat of that and really recapture that run that was so much fun and exciting and, and potentially could have been something more if the bullpen didn't derail it back in the second half of 2019. So to me, Marcus Stroman is the key because Marcus Stroman, by all accounts, other than the fact that he didn't want to pitch last year, is healthy. He's developed this new split changeup that Gazelman taught him, and he's talked about it. And he's a guy that has pitched the postseason. He's gone head-to-head with Cole Hamels in the division series. He's pitched uh, in front of big crowds. He's a guy that I think wants that moment and and can thrive in that moment. And I don't think he's afraid of that moment. Now, I know from an off-the-field perspective, so many fans don't like Stroman. Look, I don't like the guy's politics either. I don't. That's not. That doesn't matter. That doesn't matter to me. See, I'm not a phony. I'm not going to sit here and pretend like some people want to pretend that I need to have 25 to 40 guys that believe the things that I believe in. All I care about is that he's a good human being, and I think he is, and that he was able to go out on the field and perform and, and perform at a high level and put the time into his craft, and I think he does that. You know, he's going to make a lot of Muhammad Ali-type statements. Hey, you better back that up. There's no reason for me not to like him based on that. What it does do is put the chips to the center of the table and say, you know what? You're shooting your mouth off. You're telling me how you have this great new pitch. You're telling me how your mind and your body with your chef and your trainer and all the things you do. And he's a bit of a Instagram athlete, which I don't like. I mean, you know that. There's so much not to like on the surface. But look, that's who he is. Accept people for who they are. And if they perform, he'll be beloved. And I'll tell you another thing. Because he's a guy, and he said it himself that doesn't need velocity in an era where, you know, the old five o'clock shadow with the hitter, ever the hitter that looks great at five o'clock and hits home runs, and then he never hits it again. Well, now we have it on the pitching side where you go on a side uh, mound somewhere in a backfield in Port St. Lucie or during the bullpen, and you throw hard. Everyone's like, oh, my God, he's throwing so hard. But he can't pitch. He can't pitch. So Stroman's a guy that in this era of excessive velocity, is working on his craft and putting time into his body and his mind and really trying to understand how I could be a pitcher. And that's a valuable thing. And I'll tell you what, if he can figure it out and he can be that, I'm not expecting to be a 1A. Maybe that's asking a lot. A very solid number two. Now you got your two slots settled. Now you don't have to rely so much on Syndergaard coming back. Everybody's relying on Syndergaard coming back. We don't know what this guy's going to do. Look, Zach Wheeler took, look how long it took him to come back from Tommy John surgery. Different people, different bodies, different situation. But there's a possibility that'll happen. And now, you know, you're, you're relying on a guy coming back from serious health issues and two young, uh, you know, guys, lefties with potential and Peterson and Luke Casey. So, you know, there's no guarantee the Mets rotation is going to be good and it needs Stroman. And I'll give you one other thing to think about before we 
take a break and get some more gold and talk a little relaxing baseball conversation here. If Strowman shows that he's healthy and that all the things he's done are for real and you as an organization get to learn a little bit about him and learn who he is as a person, a long-term commitment on a longer-term contract for Strowman is probably a better bet to work out for you than Syndergaard. Yes, I know everybody loves Thor. They, you know, R.A. Dickey was traded for him. The World Series in 2015. The car, you know, he throws a thousand miles an hour. He's got the long flowing hair. But guys, if you had to be honest with yourself, when it comes to pitchability and knowing how to pitch and being able to adapt to adverse physical conditions in terms of lost velocity or changes to the way that the game is played as the hitters learn and adjust, would you bet on the pitcher that's really working on the body and mind in a serious way that is able to change speeds and not rely on velocity? Or the guy that, let's face it, once Syndergaard loses any kind of uptick on his fastball in his career, do you see him as a guy that's going to be anywhere near the pitcher that he is now? I think the answer is obvious. So you saw a little bit of Stroman today. I know he's not going to be a sexy pitcher. He's going to rely on his defense. He's going to drive you crazy with his mouth sometimes. He's going to drive you crazy with the off-the-field stuff, the cleats, the thing. That's who he is. I'm fine with that as long as you perform and pitch. And you know what? I'm not going to pick on him if he doesn't live up to certain expectations because of all that stuff. I know people will. I won't. But I'm not penciling him in for top of the rotation, close to number one performance. I'm okay if he's a number three and he doesn't, you know, live up to some of the verbal hype that he's giving himself. But sure, would that be big for this rotation and take a lot of pressure off the two young guys I mentioned and Syndergaard coming back from a serious injury and allow Carrasco to re-emerge after a couple of years of health and injuries and stuff like that. Um, It would be huge. And it would be huge for his pocketbook because if he does do that, Stroman over 162 game season uh, there'll be a lot of suitors for him and then the Mets have a really tough decision to make uh, maybe more competitive than Trevor Bauer's Cy Young season in a pandemic shortened season so all right let's take a quick break so Stroman is something that we're looking at the rest of the spring and I think a big key for that rotation the, you know we're in that little bit of a lull it came earlier than expected we're less than a month away from baseball so it's it's not going to last long Let's try something new. Let's get Mark Gold, big Mets fan, Gold's Horse Radish. Uh, You guys know it from the promotions at City Field and Shea Stadium, the bobbleheads. You probably have used the product. A longtime old company, great story. We're going to talk Mets baseball and and get a feel of what his experience has been in uh, growing up and, and doing business with the New York Mets and a little bit about the curse of the bobblehead, which you have or may have. I know I have a couple of them may have right now in your uh, little mantle somewhere in your house. So, all right, let's take a quick break. You're listening to the Talking Mets podcast. We'll be back with more right after this. The Talking Mets podcast is available on many outlets, but the most popular is Apple Podcast. Hi, I'm Mike Silva, the host of the Talking Mets podcast, and I encourage you to leave a review about the program on Apple. Just rate it one to five stars, hopefully a five, because why wouldn't you? And then if you have time, leave a review. It helps the podcast continue to grow and encourages others to take a listen. You can also email me at MikeSilva at TalkingMetsPodcast.com. No G, TalkingMetsPodcast.com. Hope to hear from you soon and enjoy the rest of the show.
We're back, and as I promised, we've been being joined by a big Mets fan. You guys know him. You probably had a hot dog or some kind of product that had Gold's horseradish on it, whether it be ketchup or mustard at City Field, at Shea Stadium. You might even have a bobblehead that is sitting, like I do, on your mantle in your office or your home. But joining me is Mark Gold. Uh, he was part of the, the Gold's horseradish franchise, recently sold it a few years ago. His family started it back in 1932, right, Mark? So welcome to the program. It's been a long time, right? Yeah, thanks, Mike. Yeah, 1932 is when we started. It's funny you mentioned the bobblehead and, and uh, putting it on a hot dog. Because one of the bobbleheads that we did through the years was a, a Paula Duca bobblehead. After he was so great in 2006, and he was such a key person that year, we thought yep. 2007 should be the Paula Duca bobblehead. And the Mets would give us press conferences frequently the, the week before, the day of the game, or sure. a couple of days before. And they had Laduca there. And there I am standing at the podium. And there's Laduca standing there in a T-shirt and his uh, pregame uh, outfit. <laughs> and I handed him, we had hot dogs there, and I handed him a hot dog. And I didn't want to put mustard on it because mustard typical. So I gave him some horseradish. And he put the horseradish on the hot dog. And he took a bite. And you saw his, his face react. And you saw the tears coming out. It was one yep. of the great events seeing Laduca cry. That's, that's funny. But now I got to ask you, I got to ask you, I'm a, I'm a ketchup guy on a hot dog. Am I, am I violating an age old tradition? Cause people look at me sometimes and go, you're putting ketchup on a hot dog. So it's <laughs> oh, funny that you said the horseradish and the mustard. Yeah, horseradish is great. Well, horseradish, you could add to anything, just uh, adds, uh, you can add it to the mustard. And we had an item back when we had the company, a horseradish mustard item. The new people didn't uh, go for any of our uh, innovative uh, doings. You know, <laughs> they went back to uh, whatever they went back to. I don't know. But the uh, horseradish on a hot dog is great. Mustard on a hot dog. But that's why we got involved with the Mets. And I'm, maybe I'm jumping the gun a little bit because I thought that Back in, in the late 90s, early 2000s, before all of the boutique restaurants showed up within the ballpark, especially Shea Stadium, which was where we were at then, that what was the typical thing that you, what was the biggest thing that was consumed at a ballpark? Hot dog, right, right. Hot dog, beer and a hot right. dog. That's sure. it. So why not, we had just purchased a mustard company back in 93 slash 94, and here it was, 97, getting involved with the Mets. And I'll tell you that story later if we have time. Let's go for it. Every person that orders a hot dog is going to get one of those little packets, you know, those packets that you need applies to open up. And uh, it says gold yep. on it. Or uh, or the, the gallon of mustard that's by the condiment stand says gold on it. So right. not only were we getting taste tests, demoing, say 40, 50,000 people, whoever consumed sure. hot dogs in shape had a lot of people back in those days. And, and they didn't have any play other thing to eat. So they were demoing the mustard. Hopefully they were going to the supermarket and buying the mustard. Yeah, but right. even more important was that they saw the name Golds. So during the game, they just saw Golds on it, whether it's the packets or whatever it was. I thought that was a great vehicle. Yeah, they just handed out. I remember getting a hot dog at Chase Stadium, you know, City Field and whatnot. Mark Gold, um, uh, Gold's Horseradish, you guys know him, huge Mets fan. So let me start here because your Mets legacy is interesting. You were a Brooklyn Dodgers fan. And the Dodgers, who had come off a championship in the mid-50s, leave in the late 50s. And you were left without a baseball team. So I'm thinking about that. You were, it wasn't like you became a Mets fan um, when the Mets came out. You were an original Brooklyn Dodgers fan, and it gets ripped away from you. So you were actually, you're a different type of Mets fan where you were pre-62. 
So you know that period of four years or so where there was no National League baseball. It was the Yankees or nothing. It's an interesting time as a young man who enjoyed baseball to, to be in the city. There I was. I was, I was a kid. I was 10 years old. Dodgers left Brooklyn after the 1957 season. And when you're a 10-year-old kid, I mean, you're, you're, you're yeah. just getting involved deeply into the following of sure. the team. And I knew the stats of the 1956 team. I had a little bit of a memory of 55 when they won that World Series. But 56, I was a full-fledged fan. I was eight and a half years old. And I knew Gilliam, Reese, and Snyder, and, and Farillo, and Hodges, and Jackie Robinson, Roy Campanella, and Don Newcomb. These names are just, they stuck with me forever. Now, even today, think about how you're just rattling them off today as we talk. It's like like clockwork. And all of a sudden, and not all of a sudden because there was talk about if I didn't follow the press about the Dodgers leaving Brooklyn, I just was a kid. You know, I went to school, I listened to my mother and father, and I tried to listen to a baseball game at night. And the game started at 7.55, and I had to go to sleep at 8 o'clock. So I I love those five minutes. I look forward to those five minutes of either listening or watching a game. And then they were gone. And I still rooted for the Dodgers. But now you had a three-hour time difference. And there was no following the games. And you didn't know the final score until the next morning, if you happened to hear the radio. Because when you were a kid, you don't listen. I didn't listen to the radio. And when I got dressed in drudgingly, I went to school. And that that was it. And I'd come home. And that's when I'd find out what happened with the with the Dodgers because of the three hour time difference, there was telecast of those games. Where in '57, every game was televised. Every Brooklyn Dodger game was televised, as well as New York Giants and the Yankees. Right. Which brings me to the Yankees, who the hated Yankees. Sure, it wasn't just the Yankees. You could sure. the Yankees and the Dodgers, or the Yankees and the Giants, or the Dodgers and the Giants. You hated, and hate is a tough word. Sure, when you were a kid, and all I had. Starting in 1958, I entered into this Twilight Zone period. Not just me, but all these other 10, 11, 12, 14-year-old, 16, all these ages, they all entered into a Twilight Zone period where there was no team to root for. And my total involvement in rooting when watching a baseball game was rooting against the Yankees. Right. You can't can't be brought up. No. No. That's not the way to do it. It was a tough bunch of years between 57 and 1962 when the Mets started. And now 62 comes in. What's And, I, and I, you saw games at the Polo Grounds. And the reason that's fascinating to me is because I love looking at photos of old ball, ballparks like Ebbets Field. But everybody waxes nostalgic about Ebbets Field. I get it. You know, I get it. You know, the Dodgers had that panache. The, the Giants were weird because they were essentially upper Manhattan. They're almost the Bronx. I mean, they're in the stone's throw from Yankee Stadium. I mean, they're in the shadow, literally, of Yankee Stadium. And the Polo Grounds was a – I always had, was described as a colder place, a mausoleum-type big bulb. But it had uniqueness, like that short porch uh, down the line, the huge center field that even Pete Alonso can't hit one out. You know, the players would walk out through center field. How was it watching a ball game there? Does the Polo Grounds not get enough love in comparison to the Cathedral in the Bronx? And obviously all the memories you uh, many had at Ebbets Field. Well, I love the Polo Grounds. Not as a New York Giants fan. Of course, they were, that was the ballpark of the Giants all those years. And then when the Mets started in 1962, it was the Polo Grounds. It's, it's so incredible because I was, I was, in 1961, I was 13. And I was so excited about the Mets starting that I, I mailed away for a season ticket plan. 
you know, what kind of dopey kid mails away to a, for a season <laughs> ticket plan? And I got, I have the, I still have the original folder that uh, announced the, uh, see the prices for season tickets, which was, by the way, $215 for 81 games. One Big ticket, money in 1962. 80, 81 games, $215. That's what, and I still have that. I have all of that great stuff. And I have the postmark in the envelope that says December 1961. I did get tickets. The first game I went to at the Polo Grounds was in on Memorial Day, 1962. It was a Dodger-Met doubleheader. Of course, the Mets lost both games. And in one of the games, I was so intrigued that, uh, so fascinated by Willie Davis, who is one of the fastest uh, ball players that I've ever seen, hit into a triple play. Of course, it was line drive triple play, but they hit a triple play and Maury Wilson into a double play. And I thought that was great that I, that I went to that game. Polo Grounds was a fascinating place. It's like you said, the left field line, the right field line was so close. I think it was 240 or 250 yards. Uh, sure. Feet and 484 feet to dead the center, center field. Just like you're sure. talking, that's what the clubhouse was. And they would, players would walk up the, the steps after the game. As a matter of fact, Ron Hunt once told me a story in 1963. As he, he had just joined the Mets, he was a rookie in 63. And he was coming down the steps before one of the games, and someone yelled out, "Hey, Ron, who's reject to you?" Or well, not, "Hey, Ron, hey, thirty-three, who's reject to you?" <laughs> that was how Ron Ron Hunt was uh, was greeted at the Polo Grounds. The Polo Grounds, the, the I was tall, I still tall, but I was tall for a fourteen-year-old back then. And right. one game was in the right field stands, which was solo close to the uh, to the field, and Dick Young the uh, former writer of the Daily News was walking from the clubhouse to the press box from center field to behind the plate. And it was a ball that was from batting practice that was laying on the field. And I said, hey, Dick, throw up the ball. And he looks up and picks up the one. He throws it up. I had the longest arms. Of right. Kids there. And I have that ball. I don't have it anymore. because Well, and, and Dick Young, who would have thought all those years later would have been the key catalyst to getting Tom Seaver, which I'm was sure a, was a tough time for you, you know, as a youngster growing was, up. You know, Dick Young was the key catalyst in that. Look at that. You saw him all those well, years Dick, earlier. Dick Young, Dick Young changed through the years. His, his, uh, his prowess started with the Brooklyn Dodgers and covered the Dodgers in, in Brooklyn. And he picked up on the Mets. And he was great. I loved Dick Young back in those days. And he uh, I, I gave the, the Mets so many of their nicknames. And he talked about the fans, how great the fans were. I liked Dick Young, the way he covered the games. And then he changed. Something happened to him. And it's like his whole political, he became political in a lot of ways. Sure. And, and uh, that was terrible that day, the Tom Seaver day in 77. And uh, so many t- things happened to that 73 team. I'm jumping the gun again. But mm-hmm. the, the 73 team was still left over from the 69 team. And then all of a sudden, Rusty was gone in 75. Seaver, that terrible day in 77. Kuzma was gone in 78. Cleon was never the same after after the 73 season, even before that. And he was gone by 75. Tommy Agee never made it to the 73 championship yep. team. He was Imagine gone to 72. That. And uh, somebody, and A, what, what really bothered me about Agee was that in 72, the Mets got oh, Willie Mays, which was a lot of fun, Mets getting Willie Mays. His career was virtually over. He had one more year with the Mets. Sure. But they got Mays, and they wanted to draw people, and they played a lot. And Agee, who was the center fielder who played every day, suddenly was not the center fielder that played every day. Then he had knee problems. But that really bothered me, had a tossed Agee aside when they got Mays. 
And that's what happens. Mark Gold joining me. And if you're listening to Mark talk, he, he's a real Mets fan. He spans a number of decades. He's been at spring training. We're not just here to talk about Gold's horseradish, his iconic condiment. He knows. I mean, believe me, look him up online. I, you know, he's coming on here to talk some baseball. Here's something interesting that people might not know. That here it is, 1960, you know, you're this Brooklyn Dodgers fan, no baseball. You just mentioned the Polo Grounds. You were talking about the Mets in the 70s. But you started in the long ways before Talking Mets podcasts, blogs, independent media. You started a fan letter or fan club. And you built it up. Very, you know, (laughs) as a young man, you built it up. I have a picture of it right here. I see it on the New York Times. You can Google it if you're uh, listening in the audience. So, uh, that's a lot of moxie. That that was the beginning of your uh, marketing, your sports marketing guy. That was the beginning of you marketing maybe yourself a little bit and using your favorite team as part of that. The Mets were very bad at the beginning. They were, It was horrendous. I didn't know they'd be bad. No one thought they'd be bad. The, the talk was they were going to be really good. They've got a lot of players for that, that were former Brooklyn Dodger players that were going to make – Gil Hodges was on that team. Roger Craig was on our team. Roger Craig had come one inning short of winning the ERA championship in 59 with the Los Angeles Dodgers. And he was a key person in the 59 team. That that was a great Dodger team. That was, we should have a whole story on the 1959 Dodgers and the beginnings of Maury Wills and, and Koufax was first coming around and Drysdale was, and Larry Sherry with his four great world series appearances so much to talk about in the 59 Dodgers. But come, still, it was couldn't follow the games. I remember watching the playoff games in 59. The Dodgers and the Braves were tied at the end of the season. And I remember pleading with my mother to let me stay up late to watch these important games. And I remember Carl Farillo getting a big hit, Gil Hodges, and they beat a, ter- a terrific Brave team featuring Aaron and Matthews. Frank Torrey was on that team and, and, and many other players. But you, you talk about 1961 when I started with the Mets and I said, I want to do a fan club. I sent a note to Sport Magazine. Sport Magazine, monthly magazine. I, I love their magazine, subscription to Sport Magazine. Yep. And they would have a section called Fan Club Notes. I sent, an, so I sent in a letter. I'm starting a fan club. First, I started a Bring Back the Brooks fan club. Mm-hmm. And that was even in the thing, in the uh, magazine. It didn't go too far. But then I said, let me smarten up a little bit. And I said, New York Mets fan club. And I got a great response. And uh, there was there was an article written about me in the Journal American by Stan Fischler, the hockey maven. Ah, the also hockey maven. Look at that. Stan Fischler. Family, family friend. And he did a story on me in the Journal American about this, whatever you want to call me, a dopey kid. I, I don't think I was dopey. If my, <laughs> if my mother heard me say that, she'd get very upset. But I, I, start, I start. We were all dopey kids at some point, Mark. Trust me, was. so was I. We all did right. dopey things. <laughs> I started this. I got a response and people were calling me at night. And uh, all at all, and I got up to a hundred people, and the dues were forty-five cents a month, a, a year, forty-five cents a month, forty-five cents a year with the dues right. to get this a subscription to Met Maze, and Met Maze, I guess, is what you're looking at. That yep. I put Met that Maze. on, I guess, six or seven issues, and then my mother said, "You have to stop this and get back to doing your homework because this is you can't spend your whole life with the Mets now; it's impossible." But we we started the fan club back then, and that I believe that was an initial fan club. I sent correspondence to Casey Stengel and I got a letter back from Tom Meany. Tom Meany is an old time sports writer who was also the PR person of the Mets. And he sent me back a letter that's saying that Casey Stengel has read it and that hopes that we're not going to disappoint you this year. 
they did disappoint us. Yeah. Casey, Casey was uh, like most of the Mets. Casey was on the other side of his baseball managerial career when he, he got was, to the Mets. He was, and he wasn't having a good time playing with uh, uh, managing a losing team after coming from this incredible Yankee team with Maris and Mantle right. and et cetera, et cetera. Whitey Ford and he never should have been uh, dropped the way he was. But they went, they went, they switched to Johnny Keane, and then uh, Ralph Happ brought them back. But, uh, is it true? I read. Is it true that you have a connection to the current Rays owner that you guys cross paths, Stu Sternberg? When, when we were when we were well, Stu Sternberg is uh, is a very close family friend. Goes back to when we were kids in Canarsie. I lived on 103rd Street. Stu lived on 105th. My cousins lived on 105th, and we all we all were close together. And we we uh, he was, Stu was younger than me, and uh, we just talked baseball all the time, all the time talked baseball. It's amazing what he's doing with the Rays, how he can take a team and have them contend every year. And uh, with, with the payrolls that he comes up with, his, he has a philosophy that works. Brilliant kid. He was brilliant when he was a, a kid. And, uh, mm-hmm. and, and now look, look what he does with that team. And he gets, gets, loses a guy like Snell. doesn't matter. That he's got, and who who was the the rookie last year? That great that great rookie who who starred in the playoffs in the World Series, right? Right. And what's right. his name? It's not coming to me. Oh, jeez. Uh, Randy, Randy, Randy. And he went with this. This kid becomes this guy could be. They don't know whether to have him. He's just going to be great. That team is going to be great. That's going to probably be the top. Is team. that your is that your second team? Is that your second team? Rays, that Rays, uh, the Rays. Rays. Yeah. Still, so you'll root for the Rays. So if the Mets play the Rays, you root for the Mets, right? No, but you know. Course. Of course. Yeah. There Mets you are go. There. Mets are That's, a deep down. When, yeah. when you look at when you look at the eras of Mets baseball, you've seen so many. This energy right now with the club with Steve Cohen taking it over. I've always said, you know, there's always been the comparison, the Brooklyn, the Mets, the Mets, the modern day Brooklyn Dodgers. Wait till next year. Passionate fan base in the shadow of the Yankees. And you could identify that as having lived that era. But I also compare it, and I've said this a couple of times, that where the Red Sox were in maybe 99, 2000, you know, they kind of were in their own way. They spent money, but sometimes not the best way. Um, they were good, but not good enough. And then obviously Theo Epstein came in, John Henry came in, and they built this 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 thing that became the gold standard. Uh, I sometimes compare. How, how do you compare where the Mets are now? It's a it's a, a dynamic time. There's so much energy. There's so much excitement. Uh, a new owner, and you've seen different eras, different ownership groups. Is there a time, or is this uncomparable to you? Is this a completely new frontier? Well, well, it's it's new in that you get the feeling that there's we're going to get the best players now. There's no stopping us. Of course, you have to be sensible about it. A guy like Lindor, that and and the catcher McCann, these guys are key people the catcher is a key guy and to have him that's going to handle a uh, degrom and hopefully a Syndergaard and stroman and whatever pitching of course you, you worry about the relief, relief pitching and diaz was i hope he has it to come back i hope it's not going to be like he was two years ago but he, but the, the new ownership is make giving that feeling that they're going to do whatever it takes to win I didn't. I didn't have many problems with the Wilpons. Look, I got us to 2015, which was a wonderful, wonderful year. They got us a yep. Syndergaard on that team, and I think that Dickey was involved in that trade, getting rid of Dickey yep. and that Syndergaard. Darno. Correct. I thought Darno was going to be a lot better. Darno was a big time disappointment. Do you remember the home run he hit in the World Series in the Apple? Yep. And they put the bandaid yep. on the Apple afterwards. What a great yep. time! I was at Game Five in 2015, and I was on the third baseline. 
And I was I was about I guess thirty rows back behind the dugout. And you remember the last play of that game? No one yes. forget that. And the yes. ground ball came to right. And as he's throwing to first, I see I see who's the runner who's breaking for the play. I said, "Wow, this game's going to end on an incredible double play." Right. Like, this is what's going on in my head. It was so exciting. And of course, Duda throws it into Yatsmachai or wherever yeah. he threw the ball. <laughs> and suddenly, then then. Uh, the you know, all hell broke loose. Oh, right. You know, I, I remember leaving the game in the I don't know what inning it was. It was after they after the A's had gotten the big lead in the top of the inning, and the game was over. And I so I got up to leave, and I was with my son. And I said, "Okay, Sean, let's get out of here." And uh, people are sitting, there, sitting next to me. You mean you're leaving now? I said, "I've had it." I think were four runs down. I don't remember. Yeah, how watching another team said, celebrate. That's my ride. You know, so he had, <laughs> had no choice. He had no choice. But talk about that game and familiars. That's that's why I think of familiar. He's not the answer to our prayers. And if Diaz doesn't cut it, there's going to be probably Batances. He yeah. didn't show much last year. He showed nothing. The bullpen is going to be a big part. I've been saying the bullpen is going to be a big part of uh, their success and failure. Seems like every year. Uh, Mark Gold with me, Gold's Horseradish. Uh, Here's something that a lot of fans may know, and I have some of these beautiful pieces. I told you before we had gone on the air. Uh, Gold's Horseradish sponsored a ton of bobbleheads. You mentioned uh, uh, Paula Duca earlier. Um, Keith Hernandez. I got K-Rod behind me. I got... Johan Santana, Dwight Gooden, and they're beautiful bobbleheads. They look like the player. I mean, that's not always the case. So now there's this thing, and I think it's unfair. They talk about the curse of the bobblehead, which may or may not have been broken. So are we going to blame you for some yeah, of the know. bad things that have happened to Mets players? Now, uh, I think that's a little bit crazy, but, you know, you, you came out with a bobblehead. The player for a while got injured, Kaz Matsui and Pedro and things like that. So, well, how did the obviously it's a promotion and I think it's a great promotion because for the rest of the time I look up I see Keith Hernandez on my mantle I see gold torch radish you know there you go I mean you can't ask for more you can't miss for more permanent placement you know in, in, in a sporting situation as that so talk a little bit about the bobblehead stuff not, not only that but when you give it to the uh, to the buyers and my purpose was to sell product and you give it to the buyers of the various chains and we always got a, a certain amount of bobbleheads from the Mets to do with as we, we, I think it was 200 $250 to do with as whatever we wanted. I would split them up with my partners. I, I had three partners back in those days. And we would split them up and give it to family members. But we'd also give it to all the buyers. And they put it just like you're talking about. You have it right in front of you, you said. Yep. And they would, it was so attractive. They'd keep it behind sure. their desk. They'd take it home. And, and the key thing about it was that it always, it's the gold. It's, it wasn't just Mike Piazza or Franco or David Wright, whoever it was. It said gold. And that was the plug. The first promote we had when we bought the mustard company, we started advertising with the Mets in 1997. I saw a gallon of our mustard at Shea Stadium. And I said, what? I didn't know it. The previous mm-hmm. owners of the mustard company, nobody knew anything. The, the the buyer at Shea Stadium who was involved, I think, I, whether it was Aramark or whoever it was, they just bought mustard from a distributor. And we sold mustard to all of the food service distributors who sold to the restaurants and, and other uh, vehicles. And it was there at the ballpark. And I said, damn. And at first I said, wow, this is, uh, my mustard's there. And then I got in touch with the Mets, Paul Danforth was the vice president of the Mets. They had some people that, uh, great, great people back then. And Danforth said, you know, where we're, we have your mustard, why don't you come up to see us? Can you imagine being asked by the Mets 
to come yeah. to their office. My background with the Mets was so deep all those years. I didn't even talk about the Jimmy Breslin story, which uh, goes back to 1986, <laughs> which, which we'll talk about if we have some time. Yeah, but sure. this, but but now, um, being asked to come into their office, and I was, I so I made you put on my beautiful, put a tie and I brushed my hair and looked beautiful, and I went up there and I sat down in the lobby of the office at Shea Stadium and I saw all these Met yearbooks behind me and I saw other memorabilia. I'm just overwhelmed by this. And then Paul says, okay, come into my office. And I pass by, I guess, Doubleday. Was Doubleday still there? I don't remember. But the, Yep, in 97 he'd be there. Yep. I passed his office and Wilpon's office and Jay Horwitz and I'm passing these offices and I go into Paul's office and he sits down with me. Great guy, Paul Danforth. I love Paul Danforth. And he said, uh, "We're, uh, you know, we're. You have your mustard in Shea. I think you should sponsor the Mets." And even there's a fine line between business and fan. And sure. I always had to walk that line because sure. you had to keep the fan from from taking from over. popping out. Yeah, it did. I said, yeah. "What you want to sabotage? <laughs> yeah, how much do you want? How much you got to be, <laughs> you gotta be I didn't, careful." I didn't. I didn't exactly do that. I didn't exactly do that, but. He, we negotiated an ad to be in the Met program. This was in 97. And uh, the next year we did the Met program and the yearbook. Advertising now in those vehicles doesn't make sense. Why? Right. Because it's a thousand pages. You, right. you put an ad in the yearbook, it's meaningless. You put right. it in a program. Does anyone keep score at a baseball game? No. I don't think they do that anymore. Plus, it's a medallion. It's more something that you, you would be proud of. But from a business standpoint, you know, where's it gets, the, it gets, gets lost. lost. Now it gets yep. lost. I think it gets lost now. Yep, absolutely. We did it for a couple of years, and now it's 2001. And Paul put me in touch with Jimmy Plummer. Jimmy Plummer is a, in, in advertising promotions over at the Mets. He passed away a few years ago. He was also terrific. And he said, I have an idea for you guys to do a promotion in 2001. And it was a Little League bat bag, a promotional day. So it was going to be Gold's Horseradish Little League bat bag day, where the first 15,000 or 20,000 kids would get a Little League bat bag. And on one side of the bag, it said Mets. And the other side, it said Gold's. Right with a horseradish bottle. And it's all in the perception when it comes in at ad, sure. advertising. Here we were on the same level as the Mets. And I pictured kids walking around playing Little League with the bat and, the, and everyone's seeing Mets and they're all seeing horseradish and a mother is saying, I'm going to buy yep. gold's horseradish. Yeah, that's what advertising is. And my yep. father always taught us in business, advertising is the key thing. Keep advertising, advertising as much as you can. So we did that Little League bat bit. Four of us didn't all agree on it. That's my three partners and myself. It was my brother and myself and my two cousins who were also brothers. And uh, one of us, I wanted to do it. Now it came the next year. And, and Paul said, we'll do a promotion this year, right? And I said, well, you know, I'm having problems. My brother doesn't want to do it. My other cousin, he doesn't care. So, and, and the, the other cousin, one cousin didn't care, do whatever you want. And the third, the second cousin, was now going to be the deciding vote. You had one, me on one side, my brother was on the other side, and one was neutral. So it was one, one. How are we going to get, and my purpose now was to get my cousin to go along with me. To sure. go along with the Mets doing it, because it was an expensive deal doing a promotion sure. arrangement sure. with the Mets. And my cousin said, if you can get the Mets to do a Mike Piazza bobblehead doll, you got my vote. There so you said, go. So I said to Danforth, can you get Piazza? And he said, well, I have to check with Mike. I have to do this. I don't know if we'll do it. He gets back to me, and I remember getting a call while I, while I was at the office, the Key Foods 
our buying office that day, and I got a call that, uh, and it was Paul, and he said, this is Mike Piazza. It's Paul saying this. This is Mike oh. Piazza. We decided to do a Mike Piazza bobblehead. I kept on to that voicemail for years, and then it disappeared. But that was <laughs> it. We did a Piazza bobblehead in 2002, and that was the first of 13 consecutive bobblehead days that we did with the Mets. The curse was, which you asked me about, was in, in 03, only hit 11 home runs in 68 games. He was done. Piazza was right. The next year, the Mets told me, uh, suggested John Franco. And I said, John Franco's a good idea. Can we put a little C on the uniform? If you remember that year, Franco. Yep, he was the captain. captain. He was the captain. He was coming back from an injury. But his in, he only pitched 30 parts of 30 innings. He pitched right. all of 30 innings. He was, and he was gone the next year. In 04, then they said, Paul Danforth told me, Kaz Mitsui is going to be the answer to all our prayers. And Kaz was big, hype, very big. And the Yankees were doing great with Hideki Mitsui. And Kaz Mitsui, the Mets had decided Kaz Mitsui was going to be a shortstop, which was interesting because Reyes had come up the year before and he was moved from short to second. To second, yeah. And so I went along with Kaz Mitsui bobblehead. Do you have one staring at you up there? Because I- that's, that's, I don't. I know the Kaz one that looks at. I, I don't have. I have that to one. get you one. I'll get you but one. But that that that's. But you know what's cool about this, Mark, is that. And I thought about this as I was putting this together. You know, you're trying to build a memorabilia piece. It's about, and I think you could understand this. It's not always about the championship season. Look, we want to win. We want to have a good team, whether it be for media purposes, advertising purposes, fan purposes. But the experience, you know. Maybe the uh, 97 Mets didn't win, but I have some great memories of that team. Um, Kaz Matsui, Mo Vaughn, Frankie Rodriguez, whoever were uh, pieces in Mets history. And I think that's what being a fan is about. You is mentioned building K-Rod. that fabric. Yeah. You mentioned K-Rod and you, you mentioned the curse. He epitomized the curse. Why? <laughs> it's a beautiful bobble, by the way, with him going on a mat. I got to tell well, you, it's a beautiful The question bobble. is, why does he epitomize the curse? Yeah, because you put the you put the bobblehead out, and then he had the issue with his father-in-law right, right after. There you go. Why there you go. Father-in-law, yep. because he was the bobblehead. He was cursed. There's a bobblehead. Why yep. did Loduca turn turn into turn into nothing the following year? Because and got out of the league after your bobblehead. He was out of the league, and yep. then he had some gambling issues. I don't know what yeah, he was in the gone. horse racing. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Pe- Suey never panned out. Pedro, we made Pedro Martinez 05. The Mets would let us choose what bobblehead we wanted, and in 05. They had gotten Pedro Martinez. And I talked to Sean and I always would discuss who would be the bobblehead. And that was the guy to make the bobblehead. Great idea, right? And the Mets did great stuff for us before his bobblehead day. They had a, a they had Matt Lachlan. Remember Matt Lachlan used to do the uh yep. on the field stuff? Well, he took that Stan Fischler, he's also a big hockey guy, Lachlan, and now mm-hmm. especially now. He took that Stan Fischler article <clears throat> and he he gave us a bunch of press. Where a, a PR where he came into the stands and he sat with me pre-game before the game before the and he talked to me about we talked and got amazing publicity from the Pedro Martinez thing and uh, I spoke to Steve Summers on FAN and we got a lot of press from it but what happened to Pedro did he pitch in the playoffs? He got hurt. Season? Yeah, no, he and got hurt. Yeah. Who falls down the dugout unless you're 
A bobble, yep. There you go. It's Unless all about cursed. the bobble. Yes, you cursed. cursed. Well, and it's still out there. It's still out there. And but you've gotten some nice ones, Keith Hernandez later on, and so on and so forth. Uh, so, so you're no longer. I'm assuming now. I know you've sold the company. You had some. You're no longer involved in 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 advertising with the Mets. So we will not see any more gold toss radish bobbleheads, or will will there be a, a, a reemergence of them? Because there's so many ideas you could do. They can really make good looking bobbleheads now of historical Mets figures and make them look real, not just like a uh, a gnome or something like that. <laughs> well, the uh, the new people when they when we sold it in '15, they didn't have a clue as to promotion and advertising. They didn't know yeah. about advertising in Shoprite before Passover. They didn't know about yeah. It, that it, doesn't it, surprise it, me. It, it, That's it, private it, equity for you. That they, they, they didn't yeah. get it. We were we yeah. were rolling with this bobblehead thing. We went with after Leduc. We had Santana, who was you know what happened with Santana. He was gone after twelve after we and K. Rod. But he pitched a no hitter. But he pitched a no hitter. So this, you call that a no hitter? Yeah. Uh, you uh, listen, Come on. you're a fan. Come on, uh, Mike. It's, it counts in the books. I'm not going to throw it back. <laughs> no, 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 I don't. I don't call. That's not a no hitter. I don't consider. It. I'm still waiting for the first no hitter. Just like I'm wow, still that's a, that's a hot take. That's a hot yeah. take. I'm waiting for Craig Anderson to stop his losing streak. <laughs> you know there you story. go. You know now you story? said you had a Jimmy. Uh, I we I want I don't want to keep it too much longer, but you had a Jimmy Breslin story. Jimmy Breslin is an iconic figure in New York uh, media. Uh, what was your Jimmy Breslin story? In 19, I had covered doing this, the Met Maze, that whole year for uh, in 1962. And Breslin was writing a book called Can't Anyone Here Play This Game, which was the first book written about the Mets. Yep. And he was in touch with the Mets. And the Mets said, there's this kid in Canarsie who has this fan club, and I think you should go and see him. So New Year's Eve, 1962, that's December 31st, 1962, he comes to my house at 1305 East 103rd Street, Canarsie. And that's where we lived then. No one had gone there for many years. And knocks on the door and mother looks out. She recognizes Breslin. And he's got his tie. He's all disheveled. Yep. He was known for his drinking. And sure. he introduces himself. And uh, she, she comes in the house and she says, Mark, someone's here to see you. And I'm, you know sleeping where I'm in bed or sure. I have to go to sleep. I don't remember exactly, but I remember coming down, rubbing my eyes and there's Breslin. He asked me a bunch of questions and we're talking and talking and uh, the book comes out and I, there were some things in it that I believe that I, I just told him about that he used, but I didn't get any credit for it. No. Meantime, the years go by. 1962 turns into 1986 very quickly. And 1986 was, oh, what a year that 1986 was. I get a call from Breslin in August and I, it was August. I know the date because our wedding anniversary was August 18th, and it was the Friday before. It was so it was August 16th, and we happened to be going into the city the, uh, that weekend to celebrate our anniversary. And Breslin calls me up and he says, "Wants to know what happened to that crazy kid because now the Mets are having this yep. great. What happened to the kid in '62?" And we start talking, and I start talking about Elio Chacon and Rod Keneal and Jim Hickman and how Tim Harkness hit a home run, a grand slam in 1963, and the, the Craig Anderson never-ending losing streak. And, and, he's, and, he's, and he's, I hear the typing in the background. And he says, I'll call you back. Don't take any calls. Just I'll call you back. And he calls me back, and he says, can you come in to we talk more? And he's cracking up while I'm talking, while I'm telling this stuff about a double play that should have happened where Elio Chacon threw the ball into the stands, <laughs> and the tying and winning runs came in, and the Cardinals beat the, beat the Mets. And he says, can you, come into, can you come into the office? And I said, coincidentally, we were going into the city. He walked me into his office at the news building, Daily News, next day. I did. I went with my wife. 
we went into the, and he's talking and typing with two fingers and he's cracking up while he's typing and he's takes us down to the automat afterwards and buys us coffee. It's a funny story with my wife. So he says, what do you guys want? I said, I just coffee with a little milk in it. And Rosalie says, uh, black. So he comes back and he puts the two coffees down and she thought that, that the one with the milk she was giving to, he was giving to her. And she said, and I, I wanted it black. And he said, no, this is for you. I take directions. I know how to take directions. <laughs> so he, he, he just whips up this story. And that night we went to see a movie in the city. And I'm, afterwards, I I'm, grabbed the news. The news, Daily News came out the night before. You were able to get the Sunday paper on Saturday night then, which was, so with Times also, you were able to do that. It's great when you were able to do that. Now you don't need to. Times doesn't even have a sports section on Sunday. Nope. It's wild. It's the uh, whole Times section, that whole bobblehead thing was started by the, the article on the curse was Belson of the Times. Ken Belson of the Times put that story together. We got great press from that. But the next, the next more, I see the article on page six about these Mets bring tears to his eyes. And the tears, the play on the tears from a horseradish crime. Yep. And the sure. 62 Mets crying. And it was just a, a great story. Got a lot of <clears throat> horseradish publicity from this story. It was great. Then he tells me, so, so now Sunday comes. And I, I talked to him more and he said, you're going to get a lot of calls when you get back to the office tomorrow. Don't take any calls. They're all going to want you. We're going to put you on television. We're going to do this. It was like, what a high that was. It was, right. just, it was such a great high. Breslin was the only one that called me about it, as far as the press. Although I did, we get some press in the Staten Island advance. We did get press from it, but I wasn't put on, um, I wasn't made, turned into a movie star, which I figured would be a movie star. So I, I, Breslin says, we're going to do a show called Jimmy Breslin's People. He was doing a show then and he, it, he comes to the place and, and we deck up the whole place with a background where I, you see how I have that there and have you mm-hmm. have the, I, with bottles of horseradish and duck sauce all over the place. It's an opportunity for great sure. PR. And he comes in and he says, what is this, a commercial? When he comes into the office. But he was great. And uh, he, he, and he did the, he put, I was on a show, actually Spike Lee was on the same, the same segment of Jimmy Breslin's People. The whole ploy was, and this was a tail wagging the, the dog story, where I had given up on the Mets in 1962 because they were so bad, so bad. And now that they're great, I'm going to go to, the, get to a game for the first time since 1962. That was the, uh, the deal. That's funny. We got the tickets to go to Shea Stadium and a, a camera crew is out there and it's raining that day, incredibly. And there was no game. And this is precursor to the bobblehead, but there was no game that day. So he said, let's, why don't you just sit in the stands, you and your wife with an umbrella and we're going to go up and shoot it from the press box. And you're going to be sitting there with no one in the stands except for you with an umbrella, holding your hand out, seeing if the rain stopped. A great bit. And uh, that was the uh, the Breslin experience, which is which one of the uh, really uh, the fun times that we had with the Mets. What if to wrap up here? Give me doesn't have to be the best five players. You've seen so much Mets baseball over you know four or five decades. Give me your five players. Like give me the five players you'd love to have in a room with you right now, just to talk Mets baseball. Doesn't have to be in terms of greatness, just because Mark Gold likes them. I was at the game in 1963. The Mets lost their first eight games. And Ron Hunt, who was fighting it out for, for, to play second base with Larry Burright, who the Mets had just gotten, they had traded away Wrighty Miller, Bob Miller, and Jim Hickman. And they got Ron Hunt. Was it Hunt? Was it Hickman? It wasn't Hickman. It was, uh, I forgot who the trade was for, but they got, well, that's when they traded Hunt away, getting ahead of myself. 
Hunt was a rookie trying fighting with with Burright and Schreiber for second base. And Burright started the first second first seven games, and then Schreiber started the next four games. And Ted Schreiber, interestingly enough, hit into a double play in 1963 and made the last out at the Polo Grounds. Ted Schreiber, who turned to turned out to be a teacher of mine at Thomas Jefferson High School, wow. which was astounding in itself. But I loved Hunt because that game, after losing eight straight, he comes up in the bottom of the ninth. The Mets down by a run. Choo Choo Coleman and Jim Hickman were on second and third. Two out in the bottom of the ninth. Mets down by a run. Hunt lashes a double down the left field line. The Mets win the game. I loved Hunt from that point on. Sure enough, in was it in 2019, the Mets had those alumni days. Do you remember those alumni days? Sure. And I, I'm going to the game. I happen to be going to the game with my wife. And I find out that Hunt is one of the alumni. I loved Hunt. He was my favorite Met. He's going to be at that, that meeting we're going to have with the four other Mets. I'm trying to think of two, three, four, and five. Craig pulls one of them. Three, four, and five, Craig Anderson. Let me finish the Hunt story. So Hunt is at the alumni. He's sitting at a desk signing autographs. And I get up to him. I start talking like this to him. So excited. <laughs> I remember I was at the game when you did this and, and when Gagliano and you were the all-star and you should have been the rookie of the year in 63. You had a better record than most. And I'm telling him all this stuff. Jay Horwitz is standing. He said, come on, kid, move on. Well, mister, he didn't recognize me. I met Jay a few times, but he was busy. And uh, my wife said to Jay, it was so funny because she heard him say that. And she said, I thought you retired, said to Jay Horwitz. <laughs> really a great line. So apropos <laughs> That's the a good line. So, so then I, I, I walk around, I'm done. And I see Ron, someone tells me that, that points out Ron Hunt's son. is standing. So I go over to Ron Hunt's son. I said, Ron, his name was Ron also. I said, I'd like to do a story on Ron. Uh, you think I can get in touch with them? And he said, well, let me, um, I'll get into, I'll tell you later. What's your phone number? Eh, day went on. I'm still in glorious, to- a glorious moment meeting Ron Hunt. Like, who is your favorite? Who is your top? If I were to ask you. Well, who- I got to tell you, for me, what some of my favorites, John Olroot is one of them. I love John Olroot. I got to tell you, I really like Jeff McNeil. It's kind of soon to say that. Um, Keith Hernandez has always been a favorite. Um, Al Leiter. Always liked Al Leiter. Uh, I'm trying to, I'm trying, you know, it's, it's kind of an on the spot question, but uh, Olrud is probably one of my favorite Mets. I always well, just Root, liked him. I, you think of Olrud, and then I think of the dis- dismantling of the, the 2000 Mets, of that great 99 infield. When Olrud, I know Olrud had a lot of family issues and he, he wanted to be near his family, so he went out west. That infield with Aventura, Ordonez, Fonzie. Sure. Was considered like one of the best infields of all time, right? Yeah. David Cohn's another favorite of mine. David Cohn's another favorite. I, I, that's those are guys. That not all of them would be considered great Mets, but they were Mets that, you know, for better or worse, I was, I was, I was owned into. But I can tell you, Mike Piazza, and who has been on the show, uh, a great guy. I had a chance to talk to him a couple of times. I think he's been so important of a figure in Mets history because he bridged the gap between one era and another. And um, I don't think people realize how important he was to that era of Mets. He's an era of Mets baseball. And you've seen that throughout the course of Mets history. There has always been a player, whether it be Seaver or Piazza or Hernandez and Carter. And, you know, we'll see if Lindor becomes that guy for another era and what have you. DeGrom maybe is already that guy. But there's always been a guy that has been that bridge of the gap to a new era. So it's interesting times right now that we're in. Piazza was key when he when they got him in, in 97, I believe, was his first. Yep, 98, yep, yep. 98. <clears throat> that how he turned the, t- the team around. 
They put Hen- Hunley in left field, which is, you know, reminds me of talking about something else. And I, I want Hunt at the meeting, and I want Jimmy Pearsall at the meeting, and I want Craig Anderson at the meeting, and I want oh, yeah. Roger Craig at the meeting. Roger Look at that. Still alive. Roger Craig is still alive. And he was so instrumental in those Dodger, Dodger team we talked about. And he was such a, he was the class. The, the and, and a nemesis to the Mets by teaching Mike Scott the split finger fastball. Yeah, right, right. There you and go. So then right. you bring up 86 and that sure. wonderful 86 season. And Billy Hatcher's home run that gave the Astros the lead in game six. Right. And how are we going to get it back? Billy has a Billy Hatcher story I have. We, we were doing the promotional day, one of the bobbleheads. I think it was the, the Keith bobblehead. Or I'll tell you the Doc Gooden story. Maybe another sure. time if you have time, but it's a great sure. Doc, Doc stories. But the, with, with Billy Hatcher, there was, it was a, the Keith bobblehead day, and we were on, close to the field and on the field because they always gave us the opportunity to pick someone to throw at the first pitch. And uh, it also happened to be Eli Manning happened to be there. There was some promotion they were doing with Eli Manning, and everyone was going trying to see Eli Manning. But I didn't want to see Eli Manning. I wanted to see Billy Hatcher. Billy, Billy Hatcher. Hatcher. He was on the Reds at the time. He was the coach of the Reds or the Pirates. I'm not even sure. But I went, why did I want to see Hatcher? Because I was at a game where I was with my daughter. And it was in the early 90s. And Billy Hatcher hit a foul ball. And it went to the seat next to me. It landed on the seat, bounced around. And I picked up the ball. And I had the ball. And I wrote on it caught by daddy date 92 whatever it was and for all those years i wanted to get billy hatcher to sign it which he did that day right. I, I, they wow. were looking the reds dug out there said why do you want billy hatcher to- billy hatcher that's crazy someone saying hey hatcher right. someone wants to see you and, and he yeah. came up behind the ball let me tell you quickly the doc gooden story yeah sure Go the, doc gooden, the doc gooden in 13 doc gooden was the bobblehead and we know about uh, dwight gooden what he meant to that team and it's a very nice ball. that's one of the ones that have very nice bottle it looks like doc Doc, was, in 85, was, was the greatest pitching year that I ever saw. I've been around a couple of years, and it, I never saw a year like 1985, and I don't think anyone has. I think that was one of the greatest years ever. And Dwight Gooden was going to be our bobblehead choice for 2013. That's how we broke the curse, by the way. We started going away from active players. After K-Rod and Jason Bay and Ike Davis, who all is, the, they were all cursed, we decided the only way to save, salvage that is to someone's not playing. We were going to make Jimmy Rollins a bobblehead. Because we think that would <laughs> curse on the Phillies. That's what we wanted to do. Oh, man. Heath was the bobblehead, and then Doc in 13. And we had someone whose father was uh, passed away as a result of Hurricane Sandy. And so we, he, he lived, this kid lived on Staten Island. I spoke to the mother. And we decided to make, give him the opportunity to throw out the first pitch that came. And Dwight Gooden sat with this kid in the dugout for it must have been a half hour just talking to this kid. And just talking baseball, and you know, I don't know, I don't know what words they he used, but they talked and talked and talked. And he was just a, a gem. Doc's now, a great guy. He's been on the show. I've talked to Doc. Doc's a great guy. He's working Doc really Good. hard, working really hard on trying to um, fix some of the things that I know he's done throughout his life. And it's uh, it's a beautiful bobblehead. And I don't think people realize what a, a good guy Doc is. And it doesn't surprise me to hear that he did that. Meantime, we're up. I'm up. And now they gave us a suite the day of the game where you bring your customers in, or your best buyers from mm-hmm. Stop and Shop and from uh, whatever chains were around in Costco, BJ's, Walmart's, Pathmark, whatever chains they were. We brought them into the suite. Now I'm talking to the Met person, my Met contact in the suite, and they was always supposed to put a sign in a certain spot in the camera well that said Gold Source Radish on the day of the promotion. They were supposed that was part of the deal. And I'm looking at them and I don't see it. 
Then I get the binoculars, but I don't see it. So I said to Catherine Marquette, I said, Catherine, where's our, our sign? This maybe is it before the game started, an hour, a half hour before the game, not sure. Where's our sign? And she said, what? And she starts texting away. Because this is a deal breaker. So, right. Because of fortune. And this is the promotional day. And she's texting away and she's trying to get an answer. And, she, and then this is where the fan businessman comes in with that fine line. And I crossed it again. And I said, you know what, Catherine? If you can get Doc to come into the suite, all is fine. So she's <laughs> texting and texting and texting. And finally she said, he'll be up in 10 minutes. Wow. Mike Gooden comes up into the suite. And he's incredible. Just how you described him a moment ago. He yep. signs everything. He takes pictures soft-spoken, of everyone. Beautiful, he, soft-spoken guy. Yeah. Signs the dolls. Yeah. Every doll. Scientist takes as long as we wanted. And and my partners now, they have no doubt that this is a great promotion. Because right. they're able to get the picture taken with Doc Gooden. And Doc walks out. And I'm so thrilled with with how it developed. But it's, it's a key thing when you're in business that... Uh, you know, I keep coming back to that fine line. Next year, the last bobblehead was Grandison in 14. And he, uh, there's no way that he was accursed by this bobblehead. But I didn't want him to risk Curtis Grandison having a bad year in 15. And I didn't <laughs> want, so you know what we decided to do? What's that? We decided to go to the cutting edge, which was a garden gnome. And we did a Jacob de Gram garden the Jason, gnome. Yep, and the what garden happened gnome. in 15? And the Mets make the postseason. They go to the World Bingo. Series. And now curve. DeGrom is a back-to-back Cy Young Award winner. So that's the perfect way to cap it where the curse, <laughs> right. the curse, the curse, the curse, the gnome, the guy's a Cy Young guy. Here's Bingo. the assignment I have for you. You're a sports marketing guy. Obviously, Gold Source Radish is still out there. And you guys could follow Mark on Twitter, at Mark and Gold. And uh, we'd love to do this again. You had some great stories. You got to come out with a, a legacy line of bobbleheads for different eras of Mets baseball, the 2000 team, 73. I mean, you, it would be a hit. I'm telling you, I'm giving you free marketing <laughs> advice. You put gold Thanks. sauce radish on it. People put them up. I mean, if you go on eBay now, that DeGrom bobblehead is costing a fortune. I mean, it's a, a car payment if some people are, are putting out there. But um, it's good stuff. I mean, it's it's fun talking to you. And uh, you have anything else you want to promote before I let you go? Well, we we did sell a business, so it's it's not it's not mine anymore. And I could be reached. I'm doing speaking and consulting, and I do the history of golds, which is a fascinating story. It started in 1932, and I do the whole sports stuff. And I could be reached at Marcus N Gold, M A R C U S N, as in Neil Gold, at Gmail. Or you can get my son, who's who's my uh, biggest promoter at. S Gold at PFA. That's Paul Freundlich Associates. PFAmedia.net. S Gold at PFAmedia.net. So it's great, Mike. It's terrific talking to you. You brought back so much stuff, and, and we, we have to do an episode on Craig Anderson and, and Craig Anderson. <laughs> what Jimmy Pearsall? I know. I got my guy. When, stuff. when I talk about Mets history, I know who my guy is now. <laughs> Thanks, Mark, Mike. be well. I know you're going to watch the Islanders now, so enjoy the Islander game. Thanks. We'll, we'll talk do. again. Okay, be Mike. well, my friend. Thanks for Take this. Take care. And that's Mark Gold. Some interesting stories going down memory lane. Get a fan segment. What I'd like to do at various points throughout the season is try to hear from you guys. We don't do call-ins, but maybe hear fan experiences, hear what they have to say, hear how they got into the Mets, and just talk baseball. Like That's what the point of this show is, to talk baseball and, and have some of that mental bubble gum. And I thought Mark was a great guest. Uh, as I said, I have no financial stake in Gold's horseradish. It had, 
I just thought between what I've been doing with the bobbleheads and, and, and the opportunity that came up, I thought there'd be some fun stories. So we'll take a quick break and wrap up. You're listening to the Talking Mets podcast. We'll be back with more right after this. Doc Gooden's first two years in the big leagues were some of the best in the history of baseball. How did that impact him going forward? He discussed this with me on the Talking Mets podcast. You know, normally you have those type of years, maybe like year five, year six, uh, once you get like 28, 29 years old. Mine happened in 1920, my first two years. I remember a game in 86 where I pitched a shutout, but I only had three uh, strikeouts. The first question was, what happened? You only had three strikeouts. And, you know, you'll say the political correct words. You'll say, oh, I'm not worried about that. I just want to win. It's for the team. But inside, now, that hit a nerve where you feel like my next start, I got to pitch nine innings. I got to pitch a shutout. I got to get 10 strikeouts. Um, and I, I lost some fun that I was having in game because of that. Because expectations where it became like the media expectation, the fan expectation, then it became my expectations. What I felt that anything I did, like I couldn't match 85 no matter what I did. But in my mind, if I didn't get the 10 strikeouts or whatever, it wasn't the same. It wasn't just a win. And I wasn't having as much fun as I should have had. And that's one of the things I regret looking back at my career now, where I allowed things, with, you know, whether it's the media, the fans, or myself up to that point, getting into my own head along that needed to lose the fun because it should be a privilege playing Major League Baseball and you're still winning games, you're still pitching great. Obviously, it's not 85, but unfortunately, I had my career year, my second year, or you say my first year, and you're never going to match that again. Listen to this and more at www.talkingmetspodcast.com. All right, we're back. Final thoughts. I want to thank Mark Gold for joining me. And like I said, I've, I've thought about a few of these segments. Maybe we'll do uh, some kind of – I was on Clubhouse recently with Darren Ravel and some other, you know, Anthony DeComo and some other Mets luminaries talking Mets, you know, trying that out. Maybe we'll do something like a group type of, uh, you know, roundtable. I'm going to try different things. The time has to be there, the opportunity, the news. So sit tight. If you obviously have any feedback, you know, Mike Silvat, TalkingMetsPodcast.com. No G. Send it to me, and we can, uh, you know, we can talk about, you know, that a little bit. Hey, um, want to thank some, you know, listeners that reached out over the last, you know, week or so. Uh, you know, Michael Hirsch uh, reached out uh, at Michael Hirsch four on Twitter, saying some kind kind words and about enjoying my work. I want to thank him there. Our buddy James Durazo again, saying it's the best Mets podcast out there at James Durazo on Twitter. I want to thank you very much. Another friend from the UK, Harvey Haddock, reached out. I want to thank uh, sorry, Harvey Harry Haddock. Sorry, Harry. I don't know why I thought of Harvey Harry Harry Haddock uh, reached out on Twitter. Thanks a lot, and uh, you know that that's uh, that's great feedback to give you, uh, Gabriel Cortez. Uh, also listening to the podcast, uh, I think maybe that might be his first time, uh, just a few days ago. So hopefully I didn't disappoint you on the second one. So this is your second podcast. If you're still listening, you know, thanks a lot, Gabriel for, uh, tuning in and let's see anybody else there. Uh, David Hans, uh, great podcast for my Monday AM. Listen, well, a little late this morning, David, but you know, maybe on your Tuesday AM or your late Monday uh, you know, you'll get you'll get this podcast, and then our, of course, our friend Medellin Mets fan. Uh, he's always uh, Richard out there, always saying kind stuff on Twitter. 
asking Steve Cohen to hire me. I don't know. I don't know. The Mets might not want a fair and balanced bridge between the media and the fans on their uh, staff. But if Steve Cohen wants to come on the show, you know, make it happen. I, you know, I'll gladly uh, speak to him and, and, and have a productive conversation and, and probably do something interesting with somebody like that. So, uh, you know, again, I want to thank everybody. And if there's an opportunity, you know, I'll, I'll, we'll be learning more about our sponsor as we get deeper. I just got a bunch of product from them over the weekend. So I don't want to go and, and give testimonials when I, it's it's too soon. But if you want to go to manscaped.com, um, you know, some of the best below-the-waist men's grooming you're ever going to get. You use Talking Mets on the code, like I said, and you're going to get 20% off and free shipping. Why not? Why not use this show as an opportunity to save money and improve and enhance something that, you know, obviously all of us work on. So, you know, it's there's so many different reads they've given me. I got to parse through them and see how I can make these work for us as a community here. But uh, Manscaped supporting the show during spring training. So if they're supporting us, if you have an opportunity to support them, Please do, and uh, they have a lot of faith that this loyal audience is going to come out in droves and purchase something on their website. So manscaped.com, check them out, uh, sponsoring the Talking Mets podcast during spring training. All right, I want to thank Mark Gold for joining me today. Of course, I want to thank all of you for listening, and you can get the show all the time at thetalkingmetspodcast.com. You can send me a tweet at Mike Silva Media, and you get the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Pretty much whatever podcasting service you desire. If you want to interact with me, Mike Silva at TalkingMetsPodcast.com. No G, Mike Silva at TalkingMetsPodcast.com. I'm your host, Mike Silva. Enjoy the rest of your week. We'll be back with another podcast next week. Till then, take care, everybody. Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently, by using more sustainable practices, by developing better technologies, we keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success.
Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill.